The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode, my days of just going out and drinking and subsisting off of bar food and pizza and everything like was probably okay when I was 21, 22, 23. But I think the diagnosis really helped show that like, you don't have to cut that out, but like there is a way to have a healthier overall lifestyle. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Insulone Podcast. As always, like I say, every week, it is my pleasure to have your ears and to have your time for this podcast every single week. I know there are probably hundreds of thousands of podcasts you could be listening to right now, so I appreciate you checking in with me here. And what I want you to do is give yourself credit because you are probably listening to this podcast because you have diabetes yourself, your sibling, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your parents, your children maybe have type 1 diabetes. And the fact that you are proactively taking action every week to better your understanding or to maybe even feel more connected with the condition is a huge credit to you. So make sure you give yourself credit. I don't want to take all the credit, right? So this week on the podcast, it's slightly different because I'm releasing a private episode of one of our type 1% podcast episodes. So if you don't know, you I'm sure you probably do at this stage, but if you don't know, I run a program called Type 1% that basically works specifically with type 1 diabetics to improve their life with type 1 diabetes, improve their time and range, lower their A1C, increase their energy, lose body fat, build muscle, whatever they want to do inside the program with us. And one of the features that we have inside the Type 1% program is a private podcast for exclusively our members. And one of the features that we do as part of that podcast is an inside look into a current member of the program. And what we do basically is we do live calls weekly 
as a group. But one of the things we do is we get that inside look with a current member of the program into what they've achieved, how they've done it, what their insight is, what their advice or guidance is to other members of the program. So we learn just as much from each other as we do anybody else or the program itself. So in this episode, I or you will hear me speak with a current member of the program called AJ. And AJ is just an absolute gentleman. He's just a fantastic person. And he's been in the program for quite some time now, but we recorded this hot seat much earlier in the year. And I was considering, will I release this as a a public podcast? Because it is part of the private podcast. (laughs) But I thought, why not release it to you? Because AJ's experience up to this point is massively inspiring and massively motivating and reassuring to, in my opinion, anybody living with diabetes. And we actually released one of these episodes previously with another member of the program called Martin, who had been living with diabetes and who is still obviously living with diabetes for 19 plus years. AJ joined our program when he was just diagnosed. And the first call that myself and AJ had before he joined the program, he was admittedly stressed. He was overwhelmed. He was uncertain. He was, again, admittedly afraid to eat carbohydrate, which a lot of us can be initially. And since then, and you will hear this on the hot seat, and that's what we call them, hot seats. Since he joined and the progress that he's made, he's gained 20 pounds of muscle. He's consistently hitting 90% plus time and range weeks, and he is ultimately bursting with confidence around his health with diabetes, which is just amazing to see and amazing to hear. And the reason why I wanted to release AJ's hot seat, like I said, is it is inspiring. It is motivating. It is reassuring. But it's also a good contrast to Martin because Martin's is equally as motivating and inspiring and reassuring. But Martin has been living with diabetes for a much longer time, 19 plus years. AJ has been living with diabetes and he, well, he joined us just newly diagnosed. And the reason why I wanted the two of these accessible to you is to prove, and this is something I feel very strongly about, that no matter how long or how short you have been living with diabetes, there's always time to take action on it. There's always time to better your health. There's always time for you to Feel as you want to and feel as you should and feel as you deserve to feel living with type 1 diabetes. So that's why I wanted to have these public because both of these guys, AJ obviously specifically because it's his episode, are just fantastic people and there's so much we can learn from their experience, long and short. So I'm going to stop talking. Please enjoy this hot seat episode that we did with AJ in our private members podcast. AJ, thanks so much for coming on. Do you want to just briefly introduce yourself to the guys if you haven't spoken to them up to this point? Yeah, great to see all of you. I appreciate you joining on a Wednesday night. Um, 
As Owen said, my name is AJ. I'm 28 years old. I was diagnosed in February of this year. Um, so right, we can take all of that with a grain of salt. I have a small timeline here to work with, but um, was diagnosed at 28. I did have my older sister who was diagnosed with type one when she was 10 years old. So I grew up around diabetes, but it wasn't until this year that I really realized I didn't have much of a sense of what that was. So I kind of started getting into it this spring. Lucky enough, I found Owen relatively early on in the process. Um, and I joined the program and uh, I admit I was uncertain about the program itself, but relatively quickly into it, I realized it was gonna help me. And I kind of just dug dug deep and went in with it. Um, and now looking back a few months later, I'm just super impressed with the progress I was able to make. Yeah, and the progress that you've made, AJ, in this first year of your diagnosis is phenomenal. You know, as everybody can see on the, the title page, you've gained 20 pounds of muscle, you know, and that's built from consistent 85, 90, 95 plus time and range weeks, which has just been phenomenal. And for me, what has been most impressive about AJ is the fact that he does this and has done this consistently while working an incredibly busy and demanding full-time job, which, as we know, takes up a massive amount of time and energy in itself. So for, for him to see these results consistently, despite the very minimal amount of time that he has, is inspiring for everybody else in the program. So AJ, let's get stuck in. What was life like for you before this point? You know, as, as we've said, you were diagnosed a month or a month and a half before you joined the program. So what was life like for you then? So I'm going to kind of cheat a little bit and give you a little bit of my life before diabetes and then what it was like with diabetes before the program. I've always been a skinny kid. Um, I never, I was active with my friends, but I never worked out. I was never on like a full-time sports team or anything like that. Um, I had never counted a calorie or a carb before in my life. So going into this biggest, uh, the biggest thing I was concerned about was how to suddenly turn that around. I realized later in the year, so probably around this time last year, I was just tired all the time. Um, I didn't really have a lot of motivation to do much. Um, work was really hard and then I would come home at six or seven and just kind of count down the hours until I would go to sleep. And then I was diagnosed uh, in January, February of last year. Um, I quickly realized that I did not have a good sense of what diabetes was, even with a sister who was type one. And I immediately got overwhelmed by it. And pretty much it was the number one thing on my mind every minute of every day. Um, if I wasn't worrying about the next meal, I was worrying about how I was going to start dating again with it. I was worried about my job. I was worried about every possible thing you could imagine. Um, and that obviously was not healthy for me uh, mentally or obviously physically with the diabetes. I had pretty low confidence already, um, but then with the diagnosis, I just kind of thought that was going to add to it. So not only was I going to be the skinny kid around, I was going to be the skinny kid with type 1 diabetes and all these devices on me and everything like that. And then that would add to the overwhelming feeling of how in the world was I going to do this today, tomorrow, let alone the rest of my life. 
So do you feel then, well, it's quite clear that you were kind of going through a difficult, a stressful period. And on top of that, the diagnosis had then kind of amplified the fact that you were overwhelmed and constantly worried or low on confidence. Totally. And right, it would it was impacting my life even outside of the diabetes stuff. So right, I didn't want to go out and see my friends as much because I didn't know how to dose for the meals or anything like that. I was kind of toughing it out through work regardless, but I would sure it had an impact on my on my work at that time. But yeah, it was just an overall sense of like trying to make it through that day, that meal, and just kind of living every day, one day at a time, and then just being worried about how, like, if every day is a battle, how was I going to do this for the foreseeable future? Mm. So since that point, AJ, you've you've literally done a full turnaround, right? And it's quite clear based off your physical results, your mental results, your, your A1C and your time and range. So what is life like now or what has life been like throughout your journey up to this point? I mean, it transformed everything. It helped me get a sense of like being prepared, um, but not letting that over overrun my life. Um, so recognizing that like I was going to need to always have my insulin with me. I was going to need to be thinking about stuff, but instead of letting it be the number one concern, I like to think of it now as like a comfortable number two, but like I'm allowed to have work and friends and do all that stuff that can be my number one priority. And then just knowing that like diabetes is going to come shortly after that, but that's, that's okay. I think it taught me, right. So I was 27, 28 at the time I was diagnosed that like my days of just going out and drinking and subsisting off of bar food and burgers and pizza and everything like was probably okay when I was 21, 22, 23. But I think the diagnosis really helped show that like, you don't have to cut that out, but like there is a way to have a healthier overall lifestyle. And I kind of worry about like when I would have found that out if I wasn't diagnosed at this point, how much longer would I have been drinking all day long? Um, not all day, all night. Uh, and just having that unhealthy lifestyle. So you feel as if you almost realized the importance of your health faster than you would have done if you weren't diagnosed. A hundred percent. And right. That was what I told myself before was like, I just thought that's how everyone was supposed to live in their mid twenties. You were supposed to be tired. You were supposed to kind of feel like crap. You're supposed to be hungover. You're supposed to have all that stuff. And then this program kind of showed me that like, no, there is a way to live healthy without being like, no offense to anyone out there, but without being like a Instagram vegetarian, vegan health nut, all that stuff. Like there's a happy balance that you can have in between. Of course. Okay. So look, let's get stuck into how you have made this turnaround, how you have achieved the, as I've written down, 20, 20 pounds of muscle, consistent 85% to 90% time range weeks and months. And the beauty of these sorts of trainings and, and why I wanted to start them, like I said to you earlier, AJ, is this gives us an insight into how other people in the program operate. This gives us an insight into how other people living with the same condition as us operate and manage and think and approach various difficulties or challenges or what they feel 
work so well for themselves. All right. So in terms of mindset, AJ, what lessons or tips or advice do you have for, for everybody else here based from your own experience? So a lot of this might sound familiar, right? A lot of it came from Owen. A lot of it I picked up from others in the group. Um, I think the biggest thing is, right, that 80-20 split of realizing, right, at first I was overwhelmed. I thought I had to have perfect numbers all the time. I thought that, like, if my numbers were high, I was immediately going to have side effects um, and all that scary stuff. And realizing that, like, you can be in control of this and you can also have the cheats or like the the carbs or things like that without doing it a hundred percent of the time. And I think that took a lot of the pressure off of me and it made me realize that like I can still enjoy pizza and that pizza will be even more enjoyable if I know that like the rest of the week I was in control of my bloods. Um, and right. I kind of zoom that in day by day too. So I try to have, I am okay with like routines and with uh, repeating the same meals. I know not everyone is like that, but I kind of try to have the same breakfast every day. So I kind of know that I'm starting at a flat level. Lunch is a little bit more of a wild card. And then I kind of have my few dinners that I have where I know I can kind of handle that before bed, but kind of having those set breakfast dinners makes lunch where I might be here at the office and doing something more fast if I don't totally nail it every time, I'm more okay with that because I know that breakfast that day I had under control and that at dinner, I'll likely be under control and at night I'll be under control. Mm. And that's the same with like going out with friends or going to weddings or bachelor parties. It makes it less stressful to know that like, I don't need to be on top of it hundred percent when I'm doing those special occasions because I have it under control the majority of the time outside of that. Mm. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And having that sort of mindset is vital because as I'm sure we've all heard each other say it before, regardless of what we do and the effort that we put in, it's never going to be perfect. But when we give ourselves that kind of 20% allowance to say, look, it's not going to be perfect. But if I'm managing and conscious and making measured and rational decisions, at least 80% of the time, I'm going to feel good. I'm going to feel energized and I'm going to feel in control of my diabetes rather than the other way around. Love it, AJ. Anything else? The Number other two. big one, this came from you, Owen, was understanding that my body was going to use that amount of insulin regardless, whether I was putting it in through a, uh, through a pump or a pen. Um, so right as Owen, I think mentioned, like I was, pretty concerned with high carb meals at the start of things. Um, and even when I enjoyed it, I thought that I was doing something wrong or whatever, even though for the first 27 years of my life, I, I ate all that stuff and I never thought twice of it, but realizing that like all of this stuff is the same as anyone without diabetes, they can have that pizza too. Their body's going to make that insulin for them. That like changed my whole perspective on how I thought about those higher carb meals. Um, and it made me just more comfortable day to day, uh, living with those choices too. That's a big one. And I think that's something that we can all struggle with and, and myself included is the fact that because of the vast majority of the time, we will generally eat in and around the same types of foods. And as a result of that, we typically eat or we typically take similar doses of insulin. 
and anything outside of that kind of expected dose, it's extremely daunting and it's quite intimidating. And that's why a lot of the time, particularly if we have takeaway food or we have restaurant food, inevitably that food is going to be higher in carbohydrate, higher in sugar, higher in fat. And as a result, our body will require more insulin. But because we have that kind of mental block and mental resistance, it's very difficult to be comfortable with taking larger doses. But what we need to remind ourselves is if we didn't live with type 1 diabetes, our body would still naturally secrete the the amount of insulin that our body requires. And an important thing to remember is, particularly with those larger meals and dose and, and meals that require larger insulin doses, the vast majority of the time, they're going to be much higher in fat. And because they're much higher in fat, chances are we need a split dose. So it can kind of take away some of the intimidation around it, because if it is a larger dose, at least we can split it over one, two, three, four-ish hours because the fat will likely cause a delayed spike. So love that one, AJ. Last one, number three. It's not black and white. Um, so right, a lot of these resources that Owen has is great. Um, but I think realizing where you are with your own body, where you are that day, that hour almost. So right, the easy example is that like, a 70, I printed off the chart so that you guys would be a 70 or a four, as some of you would think of it. Um, steady means one thing, but like a 70 with an arrow down can obviously mean something very different. Um, so realizing that like, just again, even if you had the same meal the day before, um, maybe if like today was your workout day or today you got more steps in or you drank more water, like you're going to likely have to react to that meal differently than you did before. Um, so as someone who like likes regimen at first, I was very good about like having a notes app in my phone. Uh, and I remember the first time I went out and ate Chipotle, like writing down how many units I used. And right when I did my first split, how many minutes after I gave the second thing. Mm -hmm. And that's super helpful. And I think we should probably keep notes like that. But realizing that like that doesn't mean that the next time I go to Chipotle, I can pull up the notes app and say, oh, I gave myself five units for that. Then and then an hour later, I gave myself another unit, um, realizing that like you really need to zoom in and think about what you were doing that day or the day before and think about where your tolerance is and all of that. Hmm. And I think that comes from your own understanding and your own confidence of you know, ratios and impacts of exercise and impacts of stress or impact of even taking a dose at a different time of day. Because like you said, AJ, if we have the same meal, it may require a different dose depending on my current blood sugar, where my blood sugar is on the way to. Is it going up? Is it going down? Have I been more stressed? And like you said, you can't always rely on your notes, but because you have kind of put that effort in initially, to really pay attention to the impact that this thing has, then you're kind of filling your, your diabetic toolbox more and more and more and more and more. So that next time, essentially it's easier to manage. So yeah. And, and like we say before, it's like everything you do, every high blood sugar, every low blood sugar is essentially information that you can learn something from. One more bonus one for okay, this one. Cool. <laughs> Realizing that like, 
this is now probably my thing, right? Diabetes, but like everyone has their thing. Um, so like, I thought when I was first diagnosed that like, I was always going to be the unicorn in the room, uh, and folks would either be more concerned about me or I would be more concerned about myself. Um, I think diabetes has like helped me understand that we all are fighting our own stuff. Um, and realizing that like, while I might be sitting there in the room worrying about how many carbs or whether I was going to be able to pre-bolus or something like that, there was probably someone else in the room. I'm going to do some poor analogies here, comparisons, but like, someone's worried about their peanut allergy and whether like someone was eating peanut butter in that room an hour before. And just realizing that like, everyone has something that is okay. Um, but that like, it doesn't make, it doesn't make you any different than anyone else. I think it almost made me realize that like, we were all, we were all the same at a certain level. Yeah. I think it's a, a strange sort of way to that almost amplifies your empathy towards other people because you realize, well, I'm dealing with this thing. And as you said, AJ, this could be my thing. And somebody else might have a thing that maybe is hidden or it's mental or emotional or, or it's at home. And uh, yeah, it definitely makes you more empathetic. So I really like that bonus that you put in. I think it, it gave me more confidence, right? Especially because diabetes, I guess you can hide it if you're really working hard, but um, it is definitely like a little more prevalent than some other things folks are working with. And I was certainly scared of that at first, but then I realized like by being confident about the diabetes management, I think that made me more confident overall. And I think instead of thinking I was going to be a drag on others, I think, I don't say I've been inspiration, but I think others realized that, um, oh, if AJ is so open with like taking his insulin before meals or whatever, maybe I can be more open with whatever it is I'm whatever it is I'm dealing with. Um, and okay. that was a big challenge. Yeah, it's a really, uh, really powerful perspective to have. And like we've even spoken about one-to-one -one before, AJ, like the confidence that you can get from being confident with your own diabetes is almost hard to comprehend because it's like, well, the confidence that I have managing this unfortunate condition day in, day out, hour in, hour out, the confidence that you get from that is just poured into other areas of your life. And it's a, it's an amazing thing. So I love that. Training. AJ, what are your, your tips or your, your, your advice, which has helped led you or helped lead you to gaining 20 pounds of muscle and not being that skinny guy anymore. So right to start, I've told Owen this, um, before the diagnosis, before the program, uh, I had probably gone to the gym five to 10 times in my life. Uh, so I was, I was starting with not a lot of experience here. Um, I think the biggest thing it taught me was like, just be consistent, right? I don't think any of us, maybe Owen wakes up every morning, excited to go to the gym. Um, realizing that like that is probably not likely uh and that's okay um what i try to tell myself is like just go i find it's a lot easier to get back in the groove on like that second workout if you at least went to the gym the day before even if it wasn't the hardest workout you did 
versus trying to go in knowing that you skipped the gym two days prior and now you had a four-day gap or a five-day gap in between workouts. I think just going, A, once I like got in the gym, I realized like I did have more energy than I thought I did. Um, but then it's just right. The consistency for me was was a huge part of that. I think finding the exercises that you are passionate about or that interest you or that you feel like you can really improve on is big. And then what I think of there is like, I'm not going to lie and say I enjoy all eight or nine exercises that Owen puts in for me. But the way I think about it is like there are probably two or three out of every workout that I do really enjoy and that I'm really trying to push myself to get to the next level. And I kind of think of every other exercise is just like helping me get stronger so that I can improve overall, but also in those other exercises where I do really care about. Key takeaway to that is the fact that consistency works, but we can never always be consistent. And so much of, and we've been through it again before, it's like your your motivation or your, your, your consistency is never going to be there all the time. And AJ said, you know, maybe I wake up and want to go to the gym every day, but I love training. I love going to the gym, but I don't want to go every day. But sometimes you just need to put the shoes on and go because a lot of the time the thought of going is worse than actually going or the thought of going out for a walk is worse than the walk itself. And you will never find anybody who regrets going out for a walk or who regrets doing a workout because you always feel the benefits. So be consistent, but understand that you can never be consistently consistent, if that makes sense. Nice one, AJ. Number two. Um, So this is one where I kind of cheat on it myself, but I think finding friends or partners or spouses or whoever it's going to be um, and trying to incorporate them into something. So I think it doesn't mean working out with them every single time. But I try to, there's one friend who I know we work out on Sunday mornings together. And like, we don't work out every day of the week, but I know Sundays we're going to do it. Um, And that's helpful, right? Sunday, it's normally the quiet time for me outside of work. Um, There's a million other things you can be doing, but knowing that like my friend is going to be there, we're going to hold each other accountable. That's been big. And then I have other friends who admittedly have a dog that I really enjoy So I go for walks with them and that's the way I get in a lot of my steps is knowing that like after work, I'm going to come home, go down the street, meet them and their dog and get the steps in. And I think that makes a lot easier, especially after a long day's work and knowing I still might have three or 4,000 steps to get in, knowing that like, I'm not just going to go home alone and walk around my neighborhood by myself, especially now when the sun sets at five o'clock in the afternoon knowing that like I have friends, dogs, whatever it is to look forward to um, has made that a lot easier to stick with. Yeah. If you can involve people who you enjoy spending time with, you can look forward to doing things that you may not particularly want to do. So somebody going out to get 10,000 steps doesn't have to just be a miserable walk out in the rain or the cold. It can be meeting a friend for a coffee, meeting a friend for a chat, you know, even from my own perspective, a lot of the time it's not as as fun, but I kind of kill two birds at one stone. I might go out for a walk. And if I have things to write, I will just voice note them to myself while I walk. So I'm getting my steps 
and I'm kind of getting worked on at the same time. So if you can make it fun, if you can make it productive, do it because it's going to be easier to be consistent if it's something that you can look forward to. Even if it's something as simple as, like AJ, AJ said, meeting a friend, seeing a dog that you like and uh, doing it that way. I know a couple of the guys here. I'm looking at Emma. You have a couple of dogs. So so you've no excuse not to, not to get the steps in. <laughs> AJ, number three. Those are my favorite voice notes for Owen is when I can like hear the birds chirping and I know he's like talking to me as he's out. <laughs> this yeah. um, third one is, I guess it kind of goes along with two, but um, being honest and open with others at the gym or whether it be Owen himself or others in the group. But um, with me not really starting with much of a background in training, um, I was worried that like I was going to walk into my gym the first day and like clearly look like the person who is out of shape and like doesn't know what they're doing on these machines or whatever. Um, and realizing that like even the folks at the gym who look like they know what they're doing, look like they live there every single day, like I have not had any bad experience with them. Um, so just being honest that like, I remember distinctly having a conversation with someone on my second week of the program saying like, oh, I was just diagnosed. I just started with this trainer. I've never done these workouts before. And they like helped me with my form and everything. Um, and I think that like immediately made me feel more comfortable knowing that like, oh, these super strong guys at the gym, like, they got like just as excited about me and like seeing how much weight I could, I could lift as I did. Um, and that just like almost immediately took away the judgment that I think I presumed that others had of me, even though they probably didn't. And then right every day after that going made a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. Um, quick number four is just like knowing that like, it's a long game and that like, I kind of think of this as like a new job type of a thing where like you do a job interview, you go in on the first day and you feel one kind of way about things. Um, and then by like a month into the job, six months into the job, you feel very differently about that stuff. Um, I kind of thought of that the same way with these workouts, how like I definitely didn't know what I was doing on day one. I kind of had a better sense of what I was doing on week two, month one. But then I just had to remind myself that like there have been plenty of times in life where I have jumped into something where I didn't know I didn't have experience in it. Um, and I just had to tell myself that like I'm new to this now, but I know that if I stick with it six months down the road, I will look back um, and I will have a much better grasp on all of it. 100%. I couldn't agree with that more. And I think it's important for us to remind ourselves that like joining a gym or, or starting a new plan or, or even just paying more attention to our health is a difficult thing to do. And it sometimes can be very intimidating and daunting to even step foot in a gym. But everybody that you see in a gym or doing a workout or going out for a run has started at that same point. Like I remember when I joined the gym for the first time, I was absolutely terrified to go in. And I was thinking every single person in the gym is looking at me. And if I do this exercise incorrectly, everybody in the gym is going to laugh at me because you're not yet confident of exercises. You're not sure about how that machine over there works. You don't even know what that bar over there is for. But as you go and as you, you're more open and as you say yourself, AJ, honest 
you learn more and you can even connect with people in the gym and your confidence grows more and more and more and more every single time you step foot in the gym. So I love that. Nutrition, AJ. You were somebody who was, I remember distinctly from our first call, you were absolutely terrified of insulin. You were absolutely terrified of eating any sort of carbohydrate. So what has helped you to flip that around? So this is definitely the area where I still think I'm I'm working the hardest on. Um, right. As I think I mentioned earlier, I was starting at zero here. Like I was fortunate that I didn't have a lot of weight concerns growing up. Um, so I never counted a calorie before. Um, somehow or another, like I said, I survived off of cheap beer and burgers and every awful food that you can imagine. And I somehow grew above six feet and everything. And like my family still makes fun of me for how I was able to, to grow up with the diet that I had. Um, for me, right, tracking it, um, realizing that, right, it's important of what I was tracking, but I realized that like day in, day out, it was pretty hard to see the trends. Um, but I could tell at the end of the week, like if my weight was not where I wanted it to be, if I then looked at the calories I was logging, I was probably going to be low there. And I think that helped me realize that like, right, we all have busy times throughout our day. For me, it was, it was often easy to skip meals, especially early on in the diagnosis where I was more concerned with insulin. I figured like, I'll just kind of skip lunch so that I don't have to worry about giving myself a dose. Um, and then if I was tracking my stuff, I would see that like I skipped lunch. And then when my weight was not where I wanted it to be, I could kind of connect the dots a little bit easier there versus if you're not tracking it, it's easy to forget. Did I have lunch on Wednesday? Did I not? But being able to like see those numbers and correlate that to the weight, just like it was like a, a flashing red light sort of. And then I could see on the opposite side of that, when I got all my calories in, um, I could see that like the weight was going up and uh, it all just kind of clicked that way. And I think if I was just, like going day in, day out, thinking about it, but not really keeping track of it, um, there's no way I would have really been able to see those trends together. And I think the key here, even just from your experience, AJ, is you checked in consistently. You know, you put in these updates consistently and you tracked your food consistently. And as a result, me and you had that information to, to look at. And I could say, look, you haven't gained weight. We need to up the calories because you had tracked what you'd eaten. Whereas if your weight didn't go up, but you didn't track, we're kind of looking at your progress blind. And it's very difficult to understand, well, do we need to increase? Do we need to decrease? Because essentially we have no idea what you're consuming. And I think that was that was part of how consistent you were was because or in terms of progress was, be, was because you were consistent with the things that you were doing. Because the information that you input we could use as that data to make sure we're always making progress step by step by step by step by step. And the important thing to remember is we all may have a different goal, whether it be to increase time and range to a, a different level or lower A1C or lose body fat or gain muscle or whatever it might be. But 
it's very difficult to adjust plans and adjust the nutritional side of things or the training side of things if there's no information to base that off. And I think, AJ, that's that's what worked so well for you was because you checked in, you were honest when you, you weren't doing what you should do, and then when you were doing what you did or what you should do, it was the data that we needed. So that was key. Number two. There's one more thing on the tracking that helped yeah. me right, as someone again, who didn't have the luxury of not really thinking about food too much for the first 27 years, tracking it made me realize like what is really, what these foods are made of and mm -hmm. what I may have thought was a filling meal or something may not have been as filling as what I thought it really was. Yeah. So it just kind of, it like, it changed how I thought about certain foods in a good way. It made me realize like what is going to help me get closer to my goal and what it's like okay to eat and everything, but might not be super helpful in that mm. case. Absolutely. And that's that's the thing about even tracking your food. We can't expect realistically to track our food every day for the rest of our lives because, because nobody wants to do that and nobody is going to do that. But if we do it accurately for an extended period of time, it could be, let's say, for 12 weeks, just simply by tracking the food that you eat, because we're creatures of habit, your own awareness of what you actually consume, portion sizes, the, the calories in certain snack, the protein intake that you're having consistently, you just have this ingrained in your mind. And that's only going to serve you positively long term. And it makes it easier to estimate foods when you're not tracking. So really good point, AJ. That was part one of this episode. If you are listening to this on the day of the release, part two will be out tomorrow. But if you're listening on any other day, part two is the next episode on our list. <laughs>